The Havrusa, featuring Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch, directed by Jeff Osias. From Chicago, this is The Havrusa. I'm Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich. And I'm Rabbi Kalman Warch. And tonight we want to discuss a phenomena, a specific Jewish phenomena called Kiruv, or outreach. Kiruv outreach became very important in the Jewish scene probably around 35 to 40 years ago. And now it's just taken off, one would say. There is this boom of people reaching out and people coming back to their um, more religious roots. Actually, Kalman, playing elder statesman again to you, the Kirov movement could really be seen as deriving from a period that the whole world, especially here in America, was undergoing a disillusionment with the norms of society where they were rejecting what the status quo was and they were searching for something different. Now, of course, here in America, we all know of the wild excesses of that movement because whenever people are searching for something, they're going to ransack a society till they find it. I, I mean, I do know somewhat of the worlds of the 60s and 70s, the hippies, Jimi Hendrix. You're right, Jimi Hendrix, and of course there were a number of uh, Jews that were on the forefront of the not only the civil rights movement but of the the hippie movement in general, but it was I think it was probably one event that really jump started the whole Kiev movement, and that of course was the war in '67, the war that saw tremendous miracles on behalf of the Jewish people. There was this spiritual awakening throughout the world, um, a sort of people looking for some truth rather than the materialistic world that had been um, so pushed upon during the... Well, I'm actually, well, I'm actually willing to say that the great Gilushchina of the victory of 67 was really meant, had we used it properly, to really bring Mashiach. What happened, what was left, I believe, was a feeling among many Jewish young people that they could come back. And although... We've Jewish sociologists have said that much of the benefits of 67 have been lost. This thing, I think, has still remained, and that is the idea that Jews can return and come back and find their roots. And I think we're still riding that wave almost 40 years later. The most common organizations are, of course, the um, Chabad organization, which, um, of course, has the whole... Um, that has the whole lamplighters um, Kirov idea. And I, to, to be totally honest, we probably should tell our listeners that Chabad began its Kirov campaign way before much of the rest of the yeshiva world. Uh, and in fact, they had these programs in place in the late 40s and the 50s. But you're right, it was only when the great wave of post-67 that Chabad started really going to all the college campuses and going to places that no Jew had gone before. And, of course, there are many other outreach organizations in America, in Israel, all over the world, really. There are um, many people working towards bringing people back to um, their roots. And they're, they're quite successful. We'd have to say organizations like NCSY or Sameach, Eishat Torah, uh, we don't want to leave anybody out, but they are raising millions and millions of dollars with their message, which has an appeal to quite a broad spectrum of Jews. Now, the thing we need to discuss tonight 
are the methods that these different organizations and different outreach um, programs use to help these people and bring them back. And these methods have definitely changed over the years. It's one thing to try to get some hippie into Judaism. Who is already searching and looking for something meaningful in his life. But today, when you have the common working person who maybe is looking for some meaning in life, but isn't really searching as hard as um, one would expect in order to make it easier to reach out to them. So while there's more money and the technological advances are definitely helping, the way to actually get the message out has become more difficult and more multilayered. Now, the um, one method that's used is the method which um, we know the great um, Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak um, uses today, and that is he gives public speeches and he speaks to people and explains to them why they need to um, be more religious, how it can help them in their life, and so forth. Right. He's working among the Sephardim, and he's he, along with uh, many other charismatic Sephardic figures, have caused a revolution in Jewish life in Israel. The Shas party uh, is clearly a result of this whole Sephardic move towards religious roots. But I think we should concentrate tonight's talk about things that are happening here on our shores. Um, some of the methods that are used by these American organizations have been criticized by some of the Rabbanim and some of the leaders as inappropriate. Um, we need to explain this um, more, more elaborately. But well, the, the most common um, criticism of the methods that are used is what would seem that the people who are reaching out are lowering themselves and lowering their own standards in order to be able to reach out. Yeah, well, I guess we could call this the I'm going to go to your Super Bowl party too syndrome, which is that you know that's going to be a place where a lot of Jews and some disenfranchised and some that have, might have some interest. Why don't you go, Rabbi, loosen your tie, uh, roll up your sleeves, and hang out there and show them that you can be one of them? Uh, and this might be your way into that. And maybe by doing that, you can eventually strike up some conversations and show them uh, during uh, the halftime show some positive things about Judaism. As a matter of fact, in Israel, there is a very prominent figure in Kirov, a rabbi, who actually um, is a guitarist. And he plays at a local bar in Israel. And between the songs, he walks around and speaks to teenagers and helps bring them back. And he actually got a heter from one of the um, leaders of our generation. But other Rabbanim say that... You're right. We can't... I don't think it's right to question the sincerity of these people. They clearly mean it well, but perhaps there's a line that they've crossed by going into the bars or going in... or actually going down to the level, so to speak, of the people that they're trying to reach. Yeah. By this we mean that um, this includes going to places where one would otherwise not go to in order to reach out to these people, maybe um, dressing the way one would not normally dress, and e even the activities that are done are things that one would usually not do, but in order to be able to get to these people, you need to sort of join them and be with them. You know, one of the Again, Kalman, I, I don't think we can unilaterally discount this. I think that there are 
there are times when you can't be standoffish. One of the great macabre today in Eretz Yisrael, uh, in order, will go into these bars and, and greet these people. I don't know if that works here, though. And I, I, I believe that in Eretz Yisrael, perhaps different uh, methods are called. There's such a compression of the Jewish populace there. Everyone is so bunched together that if you don't go into the bars, if you don't reach into the cafes and, and speak to people and show them that orthodoxy is fine, it's not going to work. I think here in the U.S., I think it's important uh, to preserve a certain sense of being above the fray and saying, yes, I'm nice and I'm smiling and, and I appreciate what you're doing, yet uh, you have to come to us, so to speak. Well, we know that um, the Hillel houses in the colleges, there is the um, rabbi who is there, and we see the great things that he accomplishes by having the colleges. So even though he does spend time in the college, but the um, successes should show that that is the place that he should be. Well, this is actually, I think this is the, the second criticism. The second criticism that has been leveled uh, by the gedolim of our time is that the people involved in Kirov will sometimes, sometimes they will either go in the Hillels, of course, which I believe are officially unaffiliated, is one issue. But when we are talking about going into areas that are blatantly irreligious or anti-Orthodox, I think here our Gedolim uh, have some point that perhaps this isn't the place to go. For example... Well, I don't know. Do you have a better idea? how to get these people to come. If you have a speech in a Orthodox shul, what, what's going to bring them, what's going to make them feel comfortable coming to such a place? Well, again, it's one thing, the social hall of a synagogue, which is anti the Torah values, is different than a Jewish community center, which is funded officially by the whole federation or the whole community. But these people, as of now, their only connection to Judaism is that they go once a month or um, twice a year to the Reformed synagogue and they pray there. And if we can't get them during those times and they're there, we can't get them at all. We never well, see them. We never I, find I, I them. I think what the Gedolim are worried about is our people being hijacked by the extreme left because if we go there to run programming, they'll take credit for it. They'll show that, hey, we're just like them. You see, we all work on a program together. But they're not way, getting any worse. We're not talking about the fact that they'll start saying, well, now we're okay because we have an a orthodox rabbi here. I think, because... that I think there'll be a mixed message. I think that the average disenfranchised Jew who walks in there, although he sees that one fellow is, has a black hat on and the other one isn't covering his head at all, Still, I think there's, there might be a mixed message. Whereas if we could find an, a place that is part of a place that's neutral, I think that that would allow, facilitate the, the I think the it would outreach. be great if we could have a neutral place and have everyone meet. But there is no Jewish gathering once a year where one could get up and speak like that. They are not there. They are living their non-religious um, life. And the the only yes, place you know, that they come many, is many, to this place. Many 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 communities. Common, I think you're. you're what am I doing? Common, I think you're unaware that many of these communities, although we wouldn't label them religious by any means, have, besides the aforementioned JCCs, have community schools which are officially unaffiliated. I don't think that our Gedolim have a problem with running care of programs through such schools. But. But we see from the successes of movements like the Kalbach movement, where he himself went to places where people were um, gurus and in um, hippie land, 
he would go there and talk to them in their place and he would show them how what they're searching for is really um, available by okay. us. And he would go to reformed shuls, orthodox shuls, he, um, and conservative shuls. I, I think, Kalman, I think you have to admit, Karl Bach was a unique phenomenon. I'm not going to put down the hundreds and thousands of Bali Tshuva that can trace their origins back to Rav Shlomo Karlbach. But this is clearly not something that we can use as a model. He was a person of certain gifts and talents that I think make him even undefinable as a Makarev. But we can somewhat use this and maybe train our outreach people to be able to go to these places, even though it's not our place. It was a trick that Karlbach was perhaps able to pull off. And I don't even know if Karlbach, I'm sorry, Kalman, I know I'm touching a sacred icon here of yours, but I'm not even sure if Karlbach was always successful in pulling it off. Wait. Clearly, I don't think Karlbach can be a model uh, for us today. I, I just think, think someone, the idea I, of the movement just shows us that it can be worked out. And maybe people should work harder to work it out. I think we have to talk about practical solutions to some of the criticism on Again, Kirov. I was just saying that the method can somehow be transposed into a, a way that we could use it. Speaking of transposing, we have to take a break. So we'll go weiter after these messages. We're back, and we're in the middle of discussing problems with Kirov. Uh, the third salvo that was launched against the Kirov movement is one that I think, Kalman, we're going to have a, a lot of fun discussing. And this is the problem with giving mysticism to the masses. Otherwise known as Kabbalah or Kabbalah, spelled with either a K or a Q. Or an A or an H. We can't deny, however, that society has even moved beyond uh, the 60s and 70s, where people are actually re looking for not answers in social change and changing the world through peace and love, but through some sort of otherworldly way. And uh, the um, so common existence of things like yoga, meditation, Zen, and things like that, and people all throughout the world are just searching for some kind of inner meaning, some spiritual life. This is not imagination. This is a very secretive, hidden, holy learning. That Which is really God's secrets of how the world works, the way they are found through the words of the Torah. There's a certain joy and there's a certain want for people to learn this and to start to understand it, and it really helps towards one's inner growth. I, I think you're right, that we can really separate between those people who are looking for otherworldly things and people who are just pure thinkers. I think that pure thinkers who are people who are intelligent and they're capable and they have been involved in some personal philosophy and really working things out should be given Kabbalah as a form of growing because they really are the right vessel 
for this kind of but, learning. But, but, we have but, to I, be I able, but we have to be able to screen them. Common, I'm not sure if the screening process can work. Many times people come to us that are so raw that we have to be able to give Kabbalah to all of them because we might lose the other. I mean, what do, what do, is there a way to shut out the guy who seems to be weird? We don't know until we've actually given him a class and talked to him and I think that it can him. be seen or at least they can be spoken to. And I do think that if someone who is looking for imagination, t- send him to the local library and tell him to buy books, even though we want him to come, but he's not going to accomplish anything, learning mysticism, if he's not a person who is able to intake it and be able to grow from it. Well, as, as the Rambam wrote to his student, Rabbi Huda Ibn Ankin, I wrote this great book, Maranavucham, and even though only one person in the world perhaps benefited from it, it was worth the effort. In the same way, the because Mar- the classes- doesn't really ruin anybody. Kabbalah, I want to explain this. Mar- when they common again, was- you, a common, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. I'm not sorry, really. But anyway, the point is is that historically there were many who probably did go off the derech because of Mor Our history is full of Jews who misinterpreted Mor uh, Well, that wasn't the intention. But again, Kabbalah, the teaching of Kabbalah um, directly results in some people... Um, taking what is learned, and this is a very deep mystical learning, and they take this and they bring this down to this world, they don't understand it, they um, they ruin it, and they gain nothing, and not only that, they become worse. I would think that in some ways the people who misuse Kabbalah are idol worshippers, and somewhat, sometimes we are breeding them by teaching people who are, I would use the word even, undeserving this secret code that really is um, set for special people, for people who are on the level to be able to handle it. I, and I believe, Kalman, that the words written by the great Kamar Nerebbe 140 years ago, that even in a generation that is surrounded by heresy, by minus and apikursus, the light of Kabbalah must be preserved and must be given to the Jews and must be studied by the Jews. Of course, he wasn't speaking about making these Kabbalah symposiums and, and giving Kabbalah to uh, people that have been on drugs. However, he did believe, as we know, the Kabbalah itself says that Uba Yafkun Migaluta, that from the study of the Zohar itself, this will be what gets us out of Golis. But again, as much as this, this might be the tool for the um saving of the world, it still does not belong in the hands of everyone. I think... Um, I agree with you, and I think that we have seen um, Kabbalah hucksters actually selling Kabbalah to people who have no idea of what it's about and telling them that it's some magic totem that they should keep in their homes. Right, but there's actually institutions that are built on the fact that they are the repositories, the repository of the holy wisdom. And they are actually getting people to give a lot of money because there are a lot of good-hearted people that want to donate to what they have heard is this holiest of wisdom. But none of these people are learning it. These books are sitting on the shelves of these synagogues. They're not being touched and studied. As a matter of fact, one of their few accomplishments is the, I would say, desecration of God's name by making it appear in one of the common rock music videos during an electrocution process. I I really think that that just shows how um, terrible it is when we hand over this holy learning 
in the hands but of again, people. But again, I think who, we both agree we don't want to deny it. So what sort of program can we have of salvaging Kabbalah, or at least being able to give over Kabbalah, which I think, you're, I think well, you're in agreement with me that Kabbalah and I would like to include here also the study of deep chassidus. One second, one second. Chassidus is a completely different issue than the issue of Kabbalah. I think that both Kabbalah and chassidus have to be made available, but we have to know how to do that. I don't think you can compare the two. Kabbalah is a learning which is deep inside. It is pure thinking. It has some practical um, turns, but those are only after you have the deep understanding, you can live a life based on that. Chassidus is entirely different. Chassidus is a mystical, deep understanding in practical life. It means you should keep this law because of this reason, and using, this is how you should act the, with it. But the, using the essential building blocks of the wisdom but that's, that's entirely, put in by Kabbalah. That is the difference. The difference is when you teach people how to be religious Jews, how to act religiously, and you explain to them in a mystical way why they need to do this, how they can accomplish this, and what they should be feeling as they're doing it, not only will that, that not hurt the them, that but the that will help them grow. Kabbalah is all pure mind, and people nobody, can, don't know how to handle it. Nobody that. is condemned zoning and even suggesting to actually teach the pure words of the Arizal and the Chaim alone. But that's what's to, done. People are learning Kabbalah. The classes that are given are about God's virtues, emanations, and the shattered vessels, which really don't help you in your um, practical Ka- well, I wasn't movement referring. towards Judaism. Common, if those classes are there, I, I, I don't see what their effectiveness are. The effectiveness I was referring to is the effectiveness of using the Kabbalistic principles uh, to give people a sense of meaning and not just Kabbalistic gleanings, uh, a regular halachic shear that is tinged by uh, a little Kabbalistic insight. I'm, I'm talking- sorry, but the these classes that are given, I'm sorry, they are not those classes that you are suggesting they should do. And I think you're pointing out a great um, solution to this problem, which is that we should teach people maybe the practical um, mysticism. I, I think we should teach people how to um, act religiously and mix in that mysticism to, to help um, help them with their understanding. Or but, I, I would go further. I would say we want, there are certain people that we want the mystical understanding of the world to be the whole structure with for which their ethics to thrive in. Uh, as we know, the, uh, the giving of the Torah was at the greatest revelation of God on Mount Sinai, and that was the way that we accepted the Torah was with this great divine understanding. But again, we weren't told then the great names of God or the way that the earth was created. We were told, um, I am your God who took you out of Egypt. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't yeah, but those adultery. perceptions were going into the Jewish mind that was absorbing those laws. And I think that when you absorb that, when you actually get the concepts down, then your actions of mitzvot are much more meaningful and you are extremely happy in doing them because you actually see the effect of your actions. All I see is the perversion of what is our most sacred learning. And I think that if we would get people to realize that this is the way that it should be done, I think that we can move on. But I I do want to say one thing, that some of the classes that are given that have been criticized are not Kabbalah. 
people sometimes advertise, come to our Kabbalah class, and people come in flocks, and what they really teach is very amateur. Not only is that not the right, the other forms of Kirov, but that's not a form of Kirov at all, because really you're not teaching them anything. When you give a class on the Bible, and all you're doing is not of this and not of that... But as you mentioned before, there is the method of bait and switch where you tell them you're going to give them a Kabbalah class and then you... Kalman, we don't want to false advertise on the radio and we don't want to false advertise when we want to bring people in. Right. Obviously, I'm not for that and I'm not even sure why we're... I I understand this tirade is very dear to you, but what are we getting at here? What I'm trying to say is that really the criticism on the Kabbalah needs to be pointed out that some yes, of the right. places are not Kabbalah and what they're doing, I don't know what they're accomplishing, but that's not Kabbalah. So we agree that most of... Uh, so we agree that a lot of what's out there advertised as Kabbalah or mysticism is probably not proper, but we don't want to close off completely the ability to reach people through this great and holy wisdom. Well, I do agree with you that everyone needs to somehow study Kabbalah, which is really what we see from the Arizal. But we do know that the Shach Paskins, that one should not learn Kabbalah until he's 40, until he's satiated with um, Talmud. Okay, and, this, okay, common uh, here. And the, as much as we common, many of not, the, pr- the pronouncements, and again, many people ask me when, when I was giving the class in the Zohar, many people asked me, well, how could you study the Zohar publicly before of a certain age? Most of those age limits are an outgrowth of the Sabbatean heresy, which occurred, of course, in the 17th century, where Kabbalah, because of its power, because of its ability to reach people, developed into this perversion as you were referring to before, and the rabbis at the time thought that the only way to stop it was to set age limits. Actually, Zohar, the age was 30, and the Kisve Ari, the writings of Luria, the age was 40. Well, I'm not implying that we should still have those same rules today. What I am saying is that we see from there the idea that one needs to be prepared. If the person is a thinker, he's capable of handling it. If one is not prepared, we should teach him religious law, we should give him some mystical insights, but when he's ready and when he is showing that this is really what he needs, then let's sit him down and start teaching him some real There's two levels here. There's the person who's gone through the system and then discovers Kabbalah in the deepest possible way. And there's also the person who discovers Kabbalah as the Baal Shem Tov and others urged, which is actually to be struck by the Kabbalistic lightning bolt. There's actually a story about the Baal Shem Tov, which I think can be understood in light of what we just said. I think this can be illustrated by the famous story of the Baal Shem Tov and his brother-in-law, Rabbi Ram Gershon Kittiver. Rabbi Ram Gershon Kittiver, the brother-in-law of the Baal Shem Tov, a great Kabbalist in his own right, was actually being transported by the Baal Shem Tov himself in a wagon through a woods. The wagon fell into the mud with the horses. And Rabbi Ram Gershon Kittiver got out of the wagon and went to the next town to find someone to lift the horse out of the woods. Ravram Gershon Kittiver went, descended from the wagon and went to the next town in order to get the horse out of the mud. When he returned, he found that the horses had escaped the mud. He turned to his brother-in-law, the Baal Shem Tov, and said, how did this happen? Baal Shem Tov said, oh, I, you're right. When he, he turned to the Baal Shem Tov and he said, how did this happen? And the Baal Shem Tov said, you're away which is to actually go slowly and try to push the horses out of the mud, doesn't work. However, 
what I did was, all I did was give it one crack of the whip. And with that crack of the whip, the horse jumped out of the mud. To me, that story is the Baal Shem Tov's idea of sometimes you have to actually give people a shock, a, a, but a true shock of the ideas of Kabbalah and Hasidus. Again, and that Hasidus could, and that would just, work that And way. that could get them out of the mud. I agree with you that Hasidus would work that way because Hasidus, as much as it's a lightning bolt, but it is actually a crack of the whip on the back. It's something that the person can feel and use and is a drive towards climbing Come out of I, the mud. Uh, but um, the fact that lightning struck and the horse doesn't actually feel it, this um, outside and beyond um, radiation wouldn't really bring people towards climbing out of the mud, towards um, being more religious, towards um, being more with God. So I think we need two types of classes. We need a class, uh, we need to find our real searchers and introduce them to a chesidus, or I'll call it a Kabbalah class, which again, I, we, uh, we agree to disagree of what that class would be, but this sort of outreach would be a Kabbalah slash chesidus class. And then we have to perhaps keep within ourselves a system that allows someone to advance and go and embrace the Holy Kabbalah itself. Okay. Okay. If any of you have comments out there, please um, send it to chavrusa at torahradio.net. We would love to hear what you have to say about this issue or any other issue that we've spoken about. Or if you have any other subjects you would like to hear us discuss, um, please email us. And we'll try to get to that that's all the time we have tonight. Those guitar strings indicate that it's time for us to sign off. He's Rabbi Kalman Warch. I'm Akarusa Rabbi Avram Kipolevich. And Kalman, stick around because I want to be Makar of you to the real truth. I'm not that far off. The Chavrusa features Rabbi Avram Kipolevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch and is directed by Jeff Osias.